tonight, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would please, and open them to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, Paul wrote to Timothy and said in uh, in 1 Timothy in chapter 3, he said that one thing about he said that when he was describing the church, he called it the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the pillar and ground of the truth. And I want to look at one of those aspects tonight about this. And uh, if you found your place there in 2 Peter in chapter 1, and I want to begin reading in verse 16. Verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and I will say, Welcome to those of you that maybe are going to view this at home. We thank God for you, and I'm hoping that sometime after you listen that you'll feel led to come and be with us in our services here. We'd love to have you, make you feel very welcome. And so uh, let's begin reading. You follow along, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Paul, uh, Peter here writing says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Boy, aren't you glad about that? We're not following Aesop's fables. That's just a fairy tale. Amen. I'm glad I, I've got the facts tonight in front of me that we're reading. And so we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now the, the, the moment that he's speaking about here, this is the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appeared and the Lord Jesus was transfigured before them. And uh, they heard that voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And notice what he says, verse 18. Let's continue. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. That's that mount of transfiguration. Now look at verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light, that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And I, I want to talk to you tonight about one of those aspects in the church being the pillar and ground of the truth. One of those things is the church is to be a place where the Lord Jesus is supposed to be exalted. Or he's to be magnified. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will what? I will draw all men unto myself. And this world has done its very best to discredit him between the cults and the sodomites and the charismatic movement. All that's going on today designing to take away from those things and the very deity of the Lord Jesus comes under attack. And so we're that's not what we're about at Ranchero Drive. Amen. We're about the exaltation of our Savior, magnifying him and lifting him up because the book of 2 John said if you'll magnify the way that you honor the Father is to honor the Son. I'll give you a little illustration of this when uh, how many of y'all know who Norman Schwarzkopf was? Oh, some of y'all probably, he was a private when y'all knew him. Y'all were in the army so long ago. And, uh, and uh, I think that's where y'all learned to ride horses was back in the, in the cavalry days. Amen. And, uh, but anyway, Norman Schwarzkopf, believe it or not, when he was a little boy, his father was a military liaison in the Middle East before there ever was a Saudi Arabia, before there ever was a single uh, tribe or whatever or group or clan that that controlled or contained all those, it was several sheiks. And when uh, when uh, when Norman Schwarzkopf was a little boy, he was about 12 years old, his parents got a divorce and he would spend summers with his dad and the rest of the time with his mother. And that's how he migrated between both mom and dad. And it was in the course of one of these summers that he went to visit his father and his father was in the Middle East 
before there was a Saudi Arabia and uh, and he was going to meet with these sheiks and so his father is all dressed up all in his military regalia and uh, and so jo uh, Norman goes to this meeting with them and they go into this huge tent and man there's these low tables that are everywhere and big pillows that these guys are going to sit on and and, uh, and it was hot and the breeze was blowing and this was done at night and as they were all seated he's seated across from all these shakes and they got the the headgear on and their robes and their knives and daggers and things they've got all this paraphernalia and out come these servants and they each are holding a huge bed of rice it's not like a little small tray, it's a huge tray. And there were several of them and there was every variety of rice. There was yellow rice covered with that saffron and there was that, uh, there's that, just besides white rice, I'm trying to think, there's another rice that's got a special name. What is that called? I'm having a brain freeze here. Uh, Yes, man, that's it. Thank you, sister. There were the, there were those kind of those kind of beds of rice, and on every bed was a whole lamb that had been roasted whole, head, legs, everything, on top of each bed of that rice. And they just brought those in like a train, and one after another they set that tray down, another tray, and another tray. And there's Norman looking at that, and he's probably wondering, gosh. I wonder if they have a hamburger in here anywhere, you know? And he's looking at this stuff, and so these men start talking, and they're so honored to have Norman's dad there. And they say, you know, we ought to do something for the father. And one of those men says the best way to honor this, to, to honor this general, or I think he might have been a colonel, but the best way to honor him is to honor his son. And so what did they do? They went over there and they scooped out one of those eyes that had been roasted out of that lamb. And they brought that over to Norman and had plopped it in his hand that he looked down at that and swallowed hard. And his dad leaned over to him and said, son, you're going to eat that? And he's going, no, dad, I'm not. And all these sheiks, everybody's watching and they're all, they're all interested in what this boy is going to do. And he's, dad, I can't. And he said, yes, you can. <laughs> and so this little conversation in English is taking place. And finally, Norman just obeys. He said that eye never touched the sides of his mouth anywhere. It just went straight down the hole and he swallowed it. When he, when he did that they cheered immensely they did because in their mind they the way that they were going to honor the father was by honoring that son with something that was prized a delicacy that they shared with him and you don't hear it ranchero we're not about eating the eyes out of lambs but i know this i definitely want to magnify the lord jesus christ every chance we have amen He's worthy of those things. Your attendance tonight, that helps to honor him, to glorify him. Your giving tonight, your singing from your heart. All of those things encompass that part of worship that we ought to cherish and hold on to. Because we love our Savior. Because of what he's done for us. He's worthy. If he didn't do one more thing for us, if he didn't answer one more prayer, he's worthy of our time and attention. Worthy of our love. The second thing in that being the pillar and ground of the truth, you know, I, I think I asked you all this once before, uh, after services one time, Has, have any of you been to the gold vault there at, uh, in Radcliffe, Kentucky, Fort Knox? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That most uh, guarded secret place and everything. It's so secret you can see it right from the freeway when you drive by there. And uh, they just won't let you into it, all right? But, uh, but, you know, when you would go there, you kind of would figure that if it's the gold vault, when you got there, you would like to see some gold, wouldn't you? Well, the same thing is truth. What, 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 the, what gold is to the gold vault, truth is supposed to be to the church. That when we come here to the house of God, we would hear the truth. We would read from the truth. We would preach the truth. We would teach the truth. We would sing the truth in the hymns that we choose. It's important. Because, you know, just because something makes your foot tap doesn't mean that it honors God. Amen. It's got to be right. The melody's got to be right. The message has got to be right. The music has got to be right. And so these truths, these are important. And one of these truths that we need to, that we need to hold up here is why we believe the Bible, to, why the King James Bible is the Word of God. Do you, you know, I know it says out there on that sign out there, a King James Bible Church. But do you know why you are? Do you know why we use the King James Bible? And 
why well, I, I don't I, I don't preach from a new American standard. He said, does it make a difference? Well, you know, if, if, if you were eating poison in your cornflakes and I knew about it, wouldn't you want me to tell you? It, it, you know, if there was something in your diet that your doctor saw that was hurting you, would you rather him tell you sooner or later? I'd rather know sooner, wouldn't you? Well, there's a reason for There's a reason why I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. Not a Word of God, but the Word of God. And the, and the Bible itself declares that for us. And so having this knowledge is a part, if you will, of being the church, being the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, now, now notice what he says right here. Look at our passage. And uh, it says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. Well, well, where were they getting their information from? In those days, before the New Testament was completed, all they had was an Old Testament. And you know what kind of testament they had? They had what was called the Masoretic Text. The Masoretic Text. The Masoretes were a group of Jewish scribes, if you will, who wrote the Bible, who made copies of the Bible. And each word or each correction, each letter on that page would have a numerical value. And in order to ensure, because they didn't have, you know, they didn't have Xerox in those days, and they didn't have a Hewlett-Packard desk jet to make their copies and so forth, they had to do them all by hand. And whenever they were doing that, when they were making a copy, they would assign a numerical value to every letter that was on the page. And just like, just like adding up columns of numbers, they would add it up and down, they would add it vertically, and then they would add it across horizontally, and they would get a total. And when they made the new paper, they would do the same thing. They would go through that and they would add up everything and the numbers had to be equal. They had to be the same. Otherwise, it was not a good copy and they would destroy that one that they had been making. So when you and I are reading our Old Testament where we, the King James Bible comes from the Masoretic text, it's not from the Septuagint, which is something that was taking taken the Latin and turning that into Greek and so forth. We're, we're not followers of that Septuagint text. We use a Masoretic text. That's what's in your King James Bible. There's a reason for it. Do you know those Masoretes, they had, they had such precision about things. Do you know that when anybody walked in the room, once they were writing the name Jehovah, they couldn't stop with the pen. They had to keep writing. It didn't matter who came in the room. When they were writing God's name, they were going to honor that. They were going to reverence that. And they weren't going to stop writing that word Jehovah until they were done, regardless of who came in the room, king or priest or whomever, whatever dignitary might have been in there to visit them. They would not do that. There was something else they wouldn't do. They wouldn't take a new quill and write the name of God with it. It had to be one that has tried and true because they weren't going to make a mistake with it. They were so careful in what they did. So when, when Peter is writing this under inspiration, he says to us that we were not following cunningly devised fables. There's a reason, there's a reason why he's going to say that. And he said, we made known unto you. Now watch, look at verse 19. This is the thing that you got to see. So think about it. There's Peter, James, and John. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're seeing these things, these glorified bodies, seeing Moses and Elijah there. And they're seeing the Lord Jesus transfigured before them. I mean, it must have been one of those wow moments, you know. I figured it must have been. I mean, no wonder, you know, Peter was always the guy to speak up. Hey, it's good for us to be here, you know. Like, they're getting to see something. Let's build some booths and all that. I mean, you know, he would... Anyway, Peter just was impulsive. You just gotta, you just gotta overlook our brother. Amen. And uh, he just had some of those ways about him. But something I want you to notice here, he's seeing something and God is very audio and God is very visual in what he does. But notice what he says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What's he saying? That what you're holding in your lap as you're sitting on that pew is a more sure word than if you'd have been on that mountain with him and heard the voice of God and saw those things. That what we have in front of us is the very word of God. The very word of God. Now I know you say, Brother Ed, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, but do you know why you believe what you believe? A lot of times we just believe what the last person told us. 
or maybe the last program we saw, whether it was the Discovery Channel or whatever. And I, I wonder about those things like, uh, you know, the History Channel, Discovery Channel. How come they just don't ever ask a, a, a real preacher about what they think about some of those things? They always get Dr. Bottle Stopper or Dr. Smell Fungus. And, uh, you know, he goes to some liberal school. Well, it doesn't really say that. You can't really count on that. I mean, they're not going to ask an everyday preacher that stands in the pulpit and declares, Thus saith the Lord. Why don't they do that? They don't want to do that. You know, the devil couldn't kill the living word, so he has tried to kill the written word ever since. Now, I gave Brother Larry something to read. Brother Larry, would you read Would you read that first one, please, out loud? That's marked there for me. I think it's the one in blue. Now, let, just let me ask you all a question. Let me ask you a question now. Don't be afraid to answer. Let, let, let me see. How many of you all were wrong last week at least once? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, so then you're used to the idea of being wrong, okay? So let me ask, it's really a tough question now. Who is it that killed Goliath? Who killed Goliath? David did. Somebody, I heard somebody, very quiet, somebody said David. David, that, is that David with a little D? No, that's David with a, David did. David killed Goliath. All right, brother, would you read that verse, please? <laughs> Did you just hear what he said? It said in that passage that some fellow with a long name is the one that killed Goliath. Go to Daniel chapter, that one in blue. Let, let me ask you a question. When the Hebrew boys were in that fiery furnace, who was in there with them? I believe the Lord Jesus was. Brother, would you read that one please there in orange for me? A little g, the son of the gods. And so so what is under attack there? That's the deity of the Lord Jesus. Remember what I said, how they're trying? Thank you, brother. And, and by the way, that's not a King James Bible. That's the New American Standard. I already figured that out. I just left this one over and I had a couple followers. Yeah, yeah, I understand, brother. I understand. Yeah, the... You know, I, I'm just telling you, and actually one of the men that was on the translation committee for the New American Standard came out and said that we were wrong in error. We made mistakes with that. And he recanted his position. The, the, the NIV, that's the nearly inspired version. You know, that the NIV, if I wanted to make a thousand and one copies of that, I have to get permission from the Lockyer Foundation. I have to ask somebody for permission. For me to make a thousand, a million, a billion copies of the King James Bible, I don't have to have anybody's permission. Why? Because the text itself has no copyright. Why? Because God wouldn't want his word to fall into the hands of men to make commercial out of it, to make merchandise out of it. Beloved, we have a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy. And there's a reason why we are King James, why I am a King James Bible believer. It's the only Bible we will ever use in the teaching ministries of this church from Sunday school. I don't care if they're two or three-year-olds. We're not going to use flashcards with bad bread on there. We're not going to do that. It's a King James Bible or it won't be at all. Amen. It's the only one that we're going to use in the pulpit here for the preaching ministries. And it'll be the only kind of men that ever come and fill this pulpit. It will be men who are convinced that the King James Bible is the Word of God. Not Bible correctors. We don't add to the Word of God. We're not going to take away from it. We're going to preach, thus saith the Lord. Amen. It's what we need. And there's a reason, but there's a reason why I, I feel this adamantly about it. And I want you to know why. Just like those Masorites. I want you to know where did that Old Testament come from? How is it that we got that? Well, those Masoretic texts, they those Masorite scribes, they contain these things. They 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 transcribe these things for us, and we have this now in the King James Bible, the New Testament. 
is a different of a different sort. It's from the textus receptus. That is a Greek word just simply means that which was received, the received text by the church that then was. And so it comes at a, as with a with some credentials, some criteria for it to meet that to meet that standard. And so what we have today, what every other Bible, every other Bible comes from a different set of manuscripts. If I were to put the two piles here, over here would be the Textus Receptus. The only Bible that is, is based upon this is the King James Bible. And you say, well, Brother Ed, what about the New King James? Well, the New King James has parts of the Textus Receptus, but where they have replaced the words in there, they have gotten that from the Nestle's text. The Nestle's text is where every other version of the Bible comes from. The revised version of 1881. And the Americans not wanting to be outdone by the, by the British with the revised version. They came out with the American standard. And then later on came the, comes the new American standard. Then there's the text by Westcott and Hort. There's Nestle's text and so forth. The Jehovah's Witness Bible, which is the New World Translation, comes from the same set of manuscripts where you get your new American standard, your revised version, where all of these other Bibles come from. And these are made up of, that text is made from two manuscripts that were found. One was on, that's uh, called the Mosaic text. It's the, from Mount Musa, all right, came from a, a monastery uh, in Jabal Musa, that mountain over there. It was found in, in, the, uh, in the library. And it made up a portion of scripture. The other one is found called the Vaticanus, was found in the Vatican of the Catholic Church. And uh, it was made of vellum. And vellum is a leather material, very expensive to have. And, uh, and they put these two Bibles together. And between them, that's how they got the Westcott and Hort uh, text, the Nestle's text of that day. And uh, both of them were believed in Mariology. They worshipped Mary. And, uh, and those men that did the translating and transcribing of these things. And so the, even the church that then was, it rejected these texts because they didn't have that authority. The church doesn't give the Bible authority. Those church founding fathers, they recognized the authority that was in the Textus Receptus. And it's from this where you get Luther's text and, and if you will, Erasmus' text and so forth. And so there's a whole lineage here that where we have gotten our Bible from, there's a reason for it. You know, when, uh, do you remember there was a time when, this is a little history and I don't mean to bore you, and you say, well, Brother Ed, is this Bible, is this, yes it is, it's very relevant, but why? Because we need to know that what we're holding on to, what your preacher is preaching, is the truth. It is the truth. I don't want you to be gullible. The, the scripture says, the simple believe every word. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And so there was a time when the church in Rome split. You have East and West Orthodox. In one, you had a pope over here. Then you had Constantine. He declared himself a pope. He was in the, he was in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and he wanted to have Bibles like the pope back in Rome. And so this is where the word Constantinople, Istanbul today, comes from there in that region. So he wanted some Bibles. Well, he happened to have a young man in his court named Eusebius. Eusebius was a student of a man named Origen who had a Bible school in Alexandria, Egypt. And could I just say to you that nothing has ever good has ever come out of Egypt. Amen. Egypt in the Bible is always a picture and type of the world. And I can prove that to you later if you need that. But Eusebius knew where there were some copies of these Bibles. And so Constantine ordered 50 copies. And that's where they were written on vellum. And they came out of that school. Origen, a correction, Constantine is the one that told the men they were going to go on the Crusades, right? And they had to swear allegiance. He's the one that had a dream about a cross had it put on all their shields, had it put on all their uniforms, and they go off to battle like that, and, and they had to swear allegiance to the cross. That's not how a person gets saved, amen. It's not, it's not, that's what, that's not what kneeling at the cross is all about. It's when you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You got to repent of your sins and trust what he did on Calvary was enough to satisfy God. That is the only way to get to heaven. 
And so swearing allegiance, like, like us taking the oath when we entered the military, that man, that certainly didn't bring about my salvation, amen, because I said I was going to support the Constitution. Well, that's what those soldiers did in Constantine's army. If they were going to be a part of that, they had to swear allegiance to that cross. So the Crusades come about as a result. But that's where all these other versions of the Bible have come from. And you might find in the margin of your Bible sometimes, it might say newer, or it might say older, better, as the description, older, better manuscripts. You might find in the little footnotes, sometimes in a, in a center column reference or whatever. What are they talking about? They're not talking about accuracy. They're just talking about something that they say has been around longer. Listen, those Masorites and those who copied the Word of God, when they found an error or that page had been dog-eared so bad, what they did was they destroyed those copies. And that's why there's not older ones of those available today, if you will. That's why they're not being, in, in that sense, being remanufactured. They were back there at that time when they were found and they were held on to. But the older times, when, when the old Syriac and the old Peshito and the Latin and so forth, when those were all out running alongside the King James Bible, or what we know to be the King James Bible today, those things were held and they were used to make the copies from. And that has come down through seven of those different Bibles to where we are today. Men like, <clears throat> men like, uh, like Wycliffe and Tyndall and so forth and Huss who gave their lives that we might have this Bible today. You know, one of those men said, I've translated this so the man who puts his hand to the plow could understand it. Jerome, one of the priests, he's the one that transcribed Jerome's Latin Vulgate, a Catholic priest, came out and said when they did that, that they have, they have cast pearls before swine. He said when they gave the Bible in English to Englishmen, they were casting pearls before swine. Do you know why the Dark Ages came about? You've heard of the Dark Ages, right? It's when reading stopped. It's when writing stopped. And part of that was because the scriptures were buried in old Latin. And no one was reading that. No one was getting that. And to, and to read the Bible and to have that in your possession in some, in some places was actually against the law. There's a man that wrote a book called 50 Years in the Church of Rome. You ought to get the book and read it. Written by Father Chinque. He's a Canadian that lived during the time when Lincoln was assassinated. His parents read him the Bible and they read it so much that little boy had learned all the little stories. And when they would be in line going to Mass, you know what he'd be doing? He'd be telling them stories. And the bell would ring and all the people were supposed to go in. And they didn't want to go in. They just wanted to listen to little Chinque tell those stories about Daniel in the lion's den and David and Goliath. They wanted to hear about all those stories. So one day the priest comes to their house and tells him, he said, it's against the law to be doing what you're doing. This was in Canada. It's against the law. And he said, what do you mean? He said, you're not allowed to read that Bible. And his father said, why not? He said, you can't read it in French. He said, okay, I'll, I'll read it in some other language. And they said, no, you can't do that either. And so they tried to get it, confiscate it, take it away from them. It's something. The reason why men went into darkness in those days is because there was no word from God. Do you remember the passage in the book of Proverbs? It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That, that vision is not about something I see in the future. That vision is that was there was no word from God. There was a time, remember, in the temple when there was no vision. God quit dealing with them. They had messed up. There was no word from the Lord. And when there's no word from God, men go off into darkness. I know I've, I've, I know I've covered a lot of ground here for you. But I'm just telling you, these things are so. They are so. And so... Let's look at this. Look, notice what it says. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You see, truth, if it's going to be found, it's interwoven like the threads in your clothes. It starts over here and it makes its way through. This is one of the things about your Bible. It took about 1,500 years to compile. Had 44 or some 44 different penmen. Look at verse 21. For the prophecy came not at old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what do you have right there? You have human penmanship, but you also have divine 
authorship. That is the combination that's found here in that passage. So these men just didn't write because they felt like writing. As a matter of fact, there are places in your Bible. Do you remember there in uh, in Second Corinthians, Paul was talking about, man, I, I was in, I went up to the third heaven. Whether I was in the body or not, I couldn't tell. Only God knoweth. And he said, I heard some things. And I and he said, but it's, but it's not lawful for me to speak them. I mean, he heard some things that he wasn't allowed to tell. I mean, he certainly would have written it down. He said, boys, you're just not going to believe what I saw or what I heard. No, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him do it. John, when he's on the Isle of Patmos, you remember that? That angel is there and the angel tells him, write, and he starts to write something else he sees. And he said, oh, nope, it's not law. Don't, don't you write that. Don't you write that, John. See, go with me to Psalm 119. I hadn't forgot about it. I gave you all that history so we could skip the Bible. No, I didn't do that. I want you to go to Psalm 119, the longest Psalm in, in the book of Psalms, right? Psalm 119. And I want you to look at verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. I know some of you have heard this before, but I just want you, I want you to be able, when you're talking with someone or you're reading in your devotions, I, I want you to be able to know in your heart of hearts that what you're reading is actually the very word of God. And not, uh, not just something that, uh, you know, they used to sing a song when I was in Bible college. It said, my hope is built on nothing less than Schofield notes and Moody Press. No, that's not what it's supposed to be. I hope not. That's right, sister. I hope not. It's not supposed to be. It needs to be based upon the word of God. Our faith is not based upon our feelings. Facts have to come first. You know the reason why? Because facts are stubborn things. They don't change. I don't care what the new math says. Two plus two is still four. Amen. I, you know, I don't care what they come out with. And, uh, and so facts are stubborn things, and we need to have faith in the facts, not faith in our feelings. Because feelings go up and down. They change all the time. I mean, there's some days you wake up, you don't even feel like you're saved. I felt like that. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I've, I've felt that way. And, and I suspect probably some of you have felt that way. Don't feel like you're saying, but I'm not counting on how I feel. I mean, it's just like, it's just like the Bible says that I died with Christ. It's what it teaches. That's what Galatians 2.20 teaches, right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Well, there's some days I don't feel too dead. But I'm not counting on my feelings. I'm counting on the facts. On the facts. Notice what this says, verse 89. I hadn't forgot. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You know, what that, you know what that means? Thy word is settled in heaven. Before the first word of Genesis was ever written, the last word of Revelation was being recorded in heaven. If you could just picture, and it's a poor example, but if you would just picture a 55-gallon drum and on the side of that drum says, the will of God. And down here's a tap. A hose bib, if you will, all right? A spigot. And every now and then over the course of that 1,500 years, God would open that tap. And he would inspire those men, some shepherds, some kings, some farmers like Amos, some were like Isaiah, dignitaries, man. He could be in the king's court. I mean, he, he probably had good grammar and everything. His fingernails were clean. And then there's old Amos. I'm not a prophet, neither the son of a prophet. He was just an old farm boy. And God used him. Wrote those things down, all right? And every now and then, God, over the course of that 1,500 years, would open that tap, and out would come the will of God for men, and it would be written down. And it took 1,500 years and some 40 to 44 different penmen to compile these 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. There's a reason why that we don't, we don't follow the books of the Apocrypha. 
first and second Maccabees and so forth. We don't do that. Why? Those books were those books were historical, like you might think about the books of Josephus, the works of Josephus, who was alive during the times of Christ, but they were never treated as scripture. They were incorporated later by other denominations. And just like that same denomination that wanted to keep the book of Hebrews out of the Bible. You know why? The book of Hebrews teaches that we are believer priests. That I have access to the very throne room of God. That I don't have to have a mediator. I already got one. The Lord Jesus Christ. And just like you don't have to have a preacher to be able to talk to God. You don't have to have that. But that group, they wanted that book kept out of there. Why? Because it bypasses the, the priest. And they didn't want that. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It is. You and I have a Bible that God determined what it was going to be, the beginning from the end. That's how he sees things. And compiled this book that we might know the will of God necessary for us, for our faith to be planted and increase where we would trust Christ and have everlasting life and live a life of peace and joy and blessing here and have the instruction manual, you know, to do that. You know, you get the best life out of your car or even your Ford truck when you use and follow the owner's manual. Amen, brother. <laughs> Why not follow the owner's manual here? You'll get the most out of your life. You will. You'll get the most out of it. And so this Bible is settled forever. Look right across the little column there. Look at verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. David wrote this. He wrote this knowing what it was. David devoted to this truth. And so, man, there are seducing spirits. There are doctrines of devils in these perilous times speaking lies in hypocrisy. They mark the times really of the undoing of the simple and the sensual. The sensual, when I talk about that, I'm talking about pe pe people who trust their feelings. You know, they, they let their fears and their frustrations get the best of them. And that's what guides them. I, I, you know, I, I just felt like this, or, or oh, I had this feeling, or, and there's so much of that. There's so much of that stuff that goes on today, quote, in the name of God, and it's not based upon the Word of God. Listen, the will of God is going to be found in the Word of God. It's where it is. And uh, I mean, when the Lord, when the Lord wanted the earth to be, He He could have just thought it and it happened. But no, what did He do? He spake it into existence. And how did it happen? It happened that way because that was the Word of God, and that's what He spoke. And so. He's not left himself without a witness in these things. Go to Psalm 19 with me. Psalm 19. Turn left in your Bible. I had that example brought in, and there are plenty of others. I had Brother Larry read that for you, so you wouldn't think I was just talking out of my head. And I, I, I know you wouldn't think that, but I, 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 like, I like evidence. I like evidence. I don't like hearsay. I, I, you know, I, I want evidence. And, uh, and so that's important. And so when somebody, you know, and you think about it, you think about the poor soul. Let's say somebody picks up one of the tracks that you have put out in the restaurant or you, you, you put it there between the butter beans at HEB or whatever, and you put that out there and they pick that up and they go home and they find it and they read that thing. And man, the, the Holy Spirit, maybe a grandmother's been praying for them. They fall under conviction and they trust the Lord as their Savior. And now they, they feel like, well, you know, it says on there's some instructions on the back what to do. And well, maybe they were like me. They didn't even own a Bible. And they go to a bookstore. What do you think that person's going to tell them behind the counter? Oh, let me offer you. This is the latest, greatest. You know, it's the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. You know, and so here's, here's a person. They want to try to grow. It may contain parts of the Word of God, but it's not the Word of God. Uh, I, you know, I, when I was candidating, I candidated for a church in another state, and they want to know what did I think about that. They want to know what I thought about the New King James and the ESV. And I said, well, the first one, the ESV, first of all, is not a Bible. It's not a Bible. And I said, things that are different are not the same. 
And, uh, and I said, the other one, it, it has replaced the words of the Bible with words co that come from a corrupt text. You know, and I said, uh, why are you all so sensitive about this and everything? And I got off the phone with them. We did one of those Zoom meetings and I, I looked at Debbie and I said, man, I'm troubled about this. Well, uh, thank God they were troubled too. They, they, you know, they, they called me back and said, we just don't think you fit. And I said, well, man, I'm so glad. I said, that was the very words the Lord told me that, that uh, you all didn't fit me. And I said, I hope you find the man that you're looking for. And I said, maybe when I come through, I'd love to stop by and meet you all face. Yeah, please come by. Okay, great. I mean, we ended on a good note. I wasn't mad at him. I just felt bad for him because they've lacked some instruction. Just like that person that got out of the HEB and got saved. And they're going to go to someone who they think is going to help them in all this religious paraphernalia that's out there. Beloved, you need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to know why. It's important. We're, we're not automatons. We have a will. God left us with that. And he wants us to exercise it. And we need to be knowledgeable about these things. I don't think you have to be a walking encyclopedia, but you ought to know at least where to find it. Instead of having to say, well, you know, man, <clears throat> I really wish you'd meet our pastor. Oh, if you meet our pastor, he can answer that. No, that's the reason why they asked you. They want you to answer it. Amen, Brother Ed. It's exciting, isn't it? Amen. Yeah, you have the answer. You have the answers. I mean, it's like, you know, you run across people all the time. They say, well, man, you know, how do I get over there to, uh, how do I get to the, uh, the Home Depot. And they go like, man, I don't know the name of the roads, but I can show you how to get there. You meet people like that all the time. Well, what, how do I get to, the, yeah, you go down here three, I, I don't know the name of the road, but if you'll just go down there three three signs and, and there's a big stump, if you'll just turn right there at that big stump, you'll get there. No, God wants you to know a little bit more than that. Amen. So you got to apply yourself. Give yourself to it. I asked you to go to Psalm 19. Because think about this, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk much more about this, but but my point is that, that that there's three things that you and I ought to be acquainted with. One is revelation, the next one is inspiration, and the third one is preservation. Preservation. Those things are important. Revelation is an act where whereby God, an act of God, whereby He reveals something about Himself without which we would never know. We wouldn't know anything about it. Look here in Psalm 19. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Man, what is it? And it says, I love this. Look at this. Look at verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, there's not a people group on the planet that can't look up there in the sky and go, My, oh my, where did all that come from? And ask the question. It begs the question. How did we get here? Where, what's out there? How did, I mean, that's the reason why. So creation is a witness. We have the witness in the sky. That's out there for us. Then look at, look, at verse, look at verse 7. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. And what's its goal? Look at that next word. Converting the soul. It is to convert the soul. All right. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know, we sing a song. Have you ever learned that song? Y'all sing that song sometimes? And uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to sing it tonight, but uh, I'd be huge counting on that. <clears throat> all right. But the statutes of the Lord are right. All these things that are written. All right. And, and so we have a witness in the scriptures. So that this matter of revelation, and God did that in a couple of ways. One is natural revelation, like the creation that we can see. Man, as you study the body and learn about some things, man, I mean, how did all that... How, I'm just going to say again, man, I was never, my family was never, we were never pond scum. We weren't just floating around in some tidal pool, all right, decided we were tired of floating, let's grow some legs so we can get out here on the land and walk. Oh, what's that? It's nice and shady. Let's call it a tree. I think it would be better up there. Okay, give me a few generations. we got to get some better legs to make that... 
That takes more faith. That takes more faith. Amen. And suppose, let's just, say, let's just suppose that evolution, which is nothing more than an atheist working hypothesis, that's what that is. And let's just say, so they come along and so there's one species. And how do we know he's going to be the only one? Some miracle of numbers over time, millions and millions and billions of years. And you get a man. Well, then what are the odds of coming along that you're going to get a woman? And man, they're able to go, I mean, and they're able to go together and all the parts and everything. How's that? Gosh, I mean, probably the, you could have won the lottery several times over if you knew those odds. You know, it's just pitiful. When you study the body, it tells you just like a watch. It's got to have a maker. It's got to have a creator. There are too many systems that are too fragile. That are, that are dependent upon that. The, thing, the th same thing is true about, about the planets and about these things that are here. So creation tells us these things. A man's conscience. God left a witness in that conscience. And even in the catastrophic events, why is this? Why does this allow it? So that men might look up. It's the reason why. But, but understand that none of this None of this, it's not enough to save a man. It's just enough to get a man to begin to contemplate and think about these things. For him to see his personal need. It bears witness to the existence, to the power of God, the judgment of God, and hopefully down there to that personal need of God. And so that's where natural revelation comes about. The other one which is also called special revelation. This is where God spoke. I mean, you remember he did use Balaam's donkey, right? I mean, God spake in those times and, and did other things to, to, uh, to reveal himself to men without which man would not have known. And so, so he did things through his nature and his personality. I mean, he, he had an audible voice there in Genesis 3 when he came to the garden. And spoke to men. This is how God revealed himself. Just part. There are appearances. Who do you think that was outside the walls of Jericho? That was the captain of the host. Amen. I think that was what's called a Christophany. That's a pre-Bethlehem visit of the Lord Jesus. And uh, he, you know, he was out there. And, and the clue for Joshua was, uh, take off those shoes. The ground you're on is holy. He got the message. Amen. He knew who that was. He was concerned. He said, man, are you for them or for us? And he said, not. He said, man, I'm the captain of the host. That got his attention. That got Joshua's attention. I mean, the Lord has used dreams when there wasn't a New Testament. He's used visions. He's used all these things. Even the Urim and the Thummim. Do you remember those? That's what was behind the breastplate of the, in a little pouch behind the breastplate of the high priest. A black, a black rock and a white rock and they would ask a question. That priest would go in there. Those things would kind of be mixed up and he'd pull one out. Sort of like casting lots. It settled issues. That was a yes or a no. For them, God used those things. And the Lord used angels. Look at what he did for, for Samson's parents. And look what he did for Elizabeth. And look what he did for for. Uh, for Mary in revealing some things. And what about Daniel? God has used angels before to communicate his to communicate his truth and instruction. And so, and yet the crown of God's creation was the revelation of himself to man. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You think about it. You know, when men were in the garden, God came in the garden. When men were living in tents, the Lord was in a tent. When, when men were in houses of stone there in Jerusalem, the Lord filled that temple. And then when that was not enough, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what? That's not close enough for him. So what happened? On the day you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside. It doesn't get much closer than that. Amen? manifesting himself. It's kind of like, you know, if you don't know if he's there, I, I, I would just say this, you know, the, the Bible, to, you know, Mary couldn't hide the fact that she was with child. Amen. And I don't think that a person can hide the fact that they have the son of God on the inside. I think it'll, I think it'll break out on you. Amen. I think it will. If you're walking with him and 
doing what you can. I, my, my point is here is that God has revealed himself to us through this scripture, through other means that we might know that he's there. And God used that revelation in those things. And as a result, as a result of that, the scripture teaches that this revelation is redemptive. That God manifested himself that men might see his need, call upon the Lord and be saved. And that's not the only way that the Lord has done some things. And so we want to pick this up. And if you want to know more, you'll have to come back. All right. You'll have to come back. As Paul Harvey said, for the rest of the story, you'll have to come back. But I just want you to know, beloved, you, you, man, believe your Bible. That's the Holy Spirit. To, when, when, when you get up in the morning and you're having your quiet time, that I, I, think, I think the order here is important that you ought to have that time of prayer first. Get any clutter out of the way. That way when you read your Bible, then the Lord can speak to you and it not be hindered. Have that time first and then read that word and let God speak to your heart. And then when you, when you read it, then believe it. Believe it because it won't do you any good if you don't. The same rain that softens the ground hardens it in other places. So let that word have that softening treatment on your heart. And you can have confidence in it. Not, not because just because Brother Ed said so, but you can have confidence in it because the Lord cannot lie. And these men did not speak of their own selves, but they were moved as the Holy Ghost brooded over them, instructed them. And that's how they spake. We can trust our Bible. There's a reason why. And if you have other questions about that, man, I, I'm not going to think less of you. Listen, I, I, and I'm going to be done here. When, when Debbie, Debbie got saved first before I got saved, and I wanted to be a blessing to her, she started reading the Bible and stuff like this at the house. And I mean, a lot of things changed, and I don't have time to, to, to go over all that. But let's just suffice it to say that a lot of things changed in our lives because of the change that the Lord had made in her life. And so I wanted to be a blessing, and so I bought her a Bible. And I, I went to the bookstore there in Fairbanks, Alaska. And what did I get? I got what the person recommended. I had seen one of these before. And I got it. It was a living Bible. Leather bound. I had her name put on it. All that. Living Bible. Put all that on there. And, you know, and our pastor, Brother Allen, he was he was good about this. He just looked at that. Because I told him, he said, man, look what I got, Debbie. And he was listening. You know, he was looking. And, and, uh, and he just said, well, brother, he said, that's nice. But I think that's going to give you trouble down the road. And he was right. And if you have a question about something or whatever, I, I, I'm not going to condemn you and I'm not going to think less of you. I'm not going to do that. I, I just want to help you, point you in the right direction. Amen? And so, uh, so there's a reason why we are King James Bible believers and you need to know why. In your own heart. In your own heart. All right? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you from a church family. And God, we're so glad to have our visitor with us tonight. The one we had this morning, Lord. And I pray, God, that your will would be done in their lives. And Lord, that we go away increased in our faith, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the precious Bible. Thank you, Lord, for your love letter to us. And I pray we might, we might feast upon it, Lord, like, like, uh, like Jeremiah did and others feast upon it. And I pray that you'll help us to grow strong because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.